Hey everyone, welcome. This is Lucas Granger, lead pastor of Coastal Church. It is our hope that you will find this podcast today challenging, inspiring, and practical as we seek to reach the world with the life-giving message of Jesus Christ. Enjoy. Now, on the last day, the climax of the festival, Jesus stood and he shouted to the crowds. And he said this, anyone who is thirsty may come to me. Anyone who believes in me may come and drink. For the scriptures declare this, rivers of living water will flow from his heart. Now, when he said living waters, he was speaking of the Spirit who would be given to everyone believing in him. But the Spirit had not been given because Jesus had not yet entered into his glory. Now, when the crowds heard him say this, some of them declared, surely this is the man This is the prophet we've been expecting. But others said, listen, he is the Messiah. Still others said, but he can't be. Will the Messiah come from Galilee? For the scriptures, they clearly state that the Messiah will be born of the royal line of David in Bethlehem, the village where King David was born. And so this, so the crowd was divided about him. So here it is, Jesus comes and he gets on the scene and he shouts, listen, if anyone who is thirsty, come and get a drink. Did anybody come thirsty this morning? Oh, y'all didn't come thirsty. Oh, y'all, y'all stopped at 7-Eleven and got some big gulps on the way here. Did anybody come thirsty this morning? Come on, somebody. I don't know about you, but I came thirsty. I need some more Jesus in my life. I need some more of Jesus. I need, he did, I need the Spirit of God to be working in me, through me. Uh, I don't know about it. it. It's easy to not come thirsty. It's easy to, have you ever like had that moment where you've just eaten lunch and then your wife or husband asks you this question, so what do you want for dinner? Like, I just ate. I don't even care. I'm full. What am I thinking about? I'm not going to be, I'm thinking about five hours from now. Unless you're my wife, she gets hungry every 30 minutes and she's just... Like, like, I'm full. I'm not, I mean, we live in this society, let's be honest, where everything, for the most part, most things, not just shouldn't say everything, but most things are super, super easy. As a matter of fact, our society is built around this construct of idea of like, let's just make it simple, let's make it easy, let's make it comfortable for people. I mean, this morning, most of us got in this thing called a car, and all we had to do is press our foot down, and we're traveling at 60 miles an hour down the road. I mean, that's amazing. Nobody's horse broke down on the way to church, right? Like, I could book a ticket right now, and in this time tomorrow, be on the other side of the planet. I mean, amazing. Like, when in human history have we had these things? Like, it's just so easy. I press a few buttons on my phone, and Amazon will be there in 45 minutes. It's just awesome. I mean, it's just easy. But here's the thing. Whenever things, sometimes whenever they get too easy, we get like, I just don't really care about it anymore. It's just just how things are. It's just you start taking things for granted. Uh, We do it with people. We do it with things. We do it with events. I went to that last year. Parade. (laughs) Parade. 
Let me just see that. Right? I mean, it's just, it gets easy. I remember uh, this one time I was living overseas, and I had spent quite a few time, quite a bit of time on this one island called Rote. And translated, this island literally translates the island of bread, which is awesome. So you can't be carb-free and live on this island. So I'm, I'm on this island of bread, and, and it's amazing. But uh, I'm out in the jungle, right? And th- there's, there's no hot water heaters. There's, there's no power, so to speak of, in some of these places. And so it had been quite a while since I had taken a hot shower. I mean, I'm talking about like months since I've taken. It, it happens. <laughs> it happens, people. Come on. And uh, all the ladies are like, ooh, I can still smell them. The guys are like, y'all ain't showered in the last few weeks. So I had taken showers, just not a hot shower, right? And so I, like, I got it in, in myself of like, man, I just, I really want to take a hot shower. And so to accomplish this task, I had to go to a well and I had to bucket up, bucket after bucket, and I put it into this large pot and then I had to make a fire and I had to take the fire and get the water really hot. And then other people from the missions team saw what I was doing and they wanted to steal my water. It's like, like, okay, get your own water, but I guess I'm a Christian, so I'll share with you this time. And so I'm getting this water and I'm, like, I'm taking a hot shower. And it was just this moment of just like, man, this, I was loving this shower. I mean, it was just a bucket, some warm water. Like, man, and now... I go to my house, and I just flip a little button. I'm like, yeah, it was a shower. How was your shower? It was okay. But this shower was amazing because it meant something to me because there was some effort that had to go into it. It wasn't as easy as we have it today. And I'm saying all that to say this. Listen, sometimes when things get really easy, it's really easy to get, eh, I'm not thirsty at all, Jesus. Ah, it's okay. Forget about it. And so Jesus is there, and he's crying. Now, listen, anybody who is thirsty Come to me and come and drink freely. Now, I want to do something this morning. might be a little bit different from what you're accustomed to if you've been here before. Um, but I, I want to take this, this one scripture here in which Jesus is crying out. And I want to give you a lot of backstory to this scripture. Because once you understand the backstory to what Jesus is doing here, it's just going to mean so much more. Just like that shower. If I was just to get up here and say, oh yeah, I had a nice hot shower. That's the most boringest story ever. Uh, but if you hear about everything that went into making this shower happen on the island of bread, it's a little bit more interesting. And so for the next few minutes, if you will, just hold with me because I want to talk and I want to give you some background to this moment in which Jesus is crying out to the crowd saying, listen, if anyone is thirsty, come and drink. Uh, now, this is happening at the festival. This is uh, going on, the Festival of Tabernacles, fe- Festival of Shelters. This is to commemorate what God has brought the children of Israel out of. They were slaves in Egypt. He brought them out of slavery, brought them to this desert. And there was a time before they entered the Promised Land in which they were all dwelling in tents. They're all dwelling in these tents. And this is to commemorate. Look at where God has brought us from. Look at what God is doing in our lives. Now, the scene sets up like this. They're in this festival in Jerusalem, and this happens at the end of the festival. But at the very beginning, uh, which we could read at the beginning of John chapter 7, Jesus is told about the festival, and he's just like, "Mm, I'm not going. You guys go ahead, go on without me. 
and to which some of his disciples do, which you shouldn't leave Jesus. You should just hang where Jesus is hanging. That's a whole other sermon. And so they do. They leave Jesus. And then at some point, Jesus is like, okay, I'm deciding to go. So he goes to this festival in which they're celebrating, remember, and remembering everything that God has done for them. And it says this, he was silent. He didn't do anything. He was just there. He was kind of in secret. No one knew. And people were looking around, where is Jesus? Did he show up? Did he come to the festival? Is Jesus here? And then it says this, about midway through the festival, so this is a week-long festival, midway through the festival, Jesus says, okay, now I'm ready to say something. And he begins to teach in the temple. He begins to teach in the temple. Now, here's what's funny about this. If we were to look, and you look at Matthew 5, where Jesus gets this famous sermon on the mountain, and he begins to teach something, we get all this incredible detail about the revolutionary teachings that Jesus is bringing to the day. I mean, it's actually a few different chapters, I think three different chapters, five, six, and seven, if I'm not mistaken, of Jesus saying this is the sermon in which Jesus was preaching on the mountain, and there's all of this detail in which the writer gives us. But here... We don't get any of the details of what Jesus is preaching about that day. The things that Jesus is teaching at the temple, there's no, hey, Jesus was teaching this and it offended these people, and Jesus said this and it offended these people. No, all of the emphasis is not on the teaching, but all of the emphasis is on the teacher. And you see the switch that has taken place. To all of a sudden, there's this rabbi that's come into town that has this revolutionary teaching. Now, all of a sudden, because we have rejected some of his teachings, now all of the emphasis is not on the teachings, but all of the emphasis is on the teacher. And so in John chapter 7, there's all this talks of whether or not Jesus is the Messiah or not, whether or not Jesus is the Savior. And so part of the crowd believes that he is the Savior. Part of the crowd believes that he's not the Savior. And all of this emphasis that we now find in, in, in the book of John here is saying, listen, there's conflict. People are deciding whether or not he is the one. And see, I think what's happened is the leaders don't like the message, so now they've attacked the messenger. They don't like what Jesus has to offer. They don't like what Jesus has brought. And so now we're not even listening to the teachings anymore. All of our focus is on the reasons why he can't be the one. And, and if you're part of the crowd and you're not a Pharisee, they're even going as far as they're mocking the guards and saying, like, how come you haven't arrested them? How come you haven't done this? And to which the guards are like, but have you actually heard his teachings? No, they haven't because they're too stuck on something else because, listen, we don't like this. We don't like the teaching. We are, uh, we are just going to attack the messenger. Anything worth doing is worth getting ridiculed. If you're going to step out in faith and you're going to begin to do the things that God's called you to do, be prepared for some haters. Be prepared for some people to not just attack the thing that you're doing, but attack you yourself. That's the way it works. We'll get back to that. So here it is. Silence in the beginning. Midway through, Jesus brings a word. And now we have Jesus at the end of the festival, and we find this division within the crowd. So there's silence, there's a word, and now there's division in the crowd on whether or not Jesus is the Messiah. And if you look, you will see this pattern over and over and over again in Scripture. That there is silence, creation itself. Like there was silence, there was nothing. There was a void, there was a darkness. And then what? God spoke into that thing, 
And then what happened? And then there was conflict. Right after creation, you have the enemy coming up and saying, well, did God really say that? Come on, Adam. Did God really say don't eat of that tree? There's silence. There's a word. And there's conflict. If you look at your own life, before you knew Christ, there was a void. There was something missing. There was a silence. And then God spoke into your life, and your life was changed, and you gave your life to him. And now there's this new, brand new light that you're walking in. And you walked out of the building, or you came away from that prayer, and you thought, yes, this is amazing. And then what happened? Then there was conflict, right? Silence, word, conflict, over and over again. Here at this festival, silence, word, conflict over and over again. There's people in this room right now, maybe you're living in the void. You're, you're living in the silence. You're searching for something. I'm here to tell you this morning that the answer is Jesus. And then there's other people in this room that like you've come to the saving knowledge of Christ. The word has come to you and the word has taken place in you and God has spoken life over you. He's spoken purpose over you. He's spoken destiny over you. But something's happened, and you've gone out, and you've been listening to a competing voice. And now you're questioning the word because you can't handle the conflict. And I'm preaching to myself. It's every one of us. Because it's part of what happens, man. God speaks and he says, listen, I'm here to tell you, you're above and not beneath. You're the head and not the tail. And then you leave the place and, I, and then your mama told you someone else and the principal told you something else. And now I don't know, is that really what God said? It's the same thing that's been going on from creation. And we've got to stand on the word of God. And even here where Jesus says, listen, I'm going to get ahead of myself. But he says, listen, even as the scriptures have said, like this is what the scriptures have said, like come to me. I'm going to give you some living water. There's silence, there's word, there's conflict. Remember that. So here it is, this festival. In the beginning of each day, the priest would get together, and they would enter the silence. If you read in Leviticus 23, we get a little bit more detail about how this particular festival is supposed to be done. And each time, the festival starts off with a Sabbath. It starts off with a rest. And actually, on the eighth day, God says, listen, the, the festival seventh seven days, but on the eighth day, you rest too. You Sabbath. So this thing begins with rest. It ends with rest. And in between, we party, right? And, and so there, there's God saying, listen, from the very beginning, just stop, just slow down, just rest, just wait. And so uh, tradition is this in, in first century uh, Jerusalem, that the priests would get together. They would rise up early uh, on the morning of this day. They would get together, and they would go out, and they would face, I believe this is east, they would face the, the, the east gate, and there would be total silence among the priests, and as the sun began to rise, they would quote this. Our fathers, they were in this place, and they turned their faces towards the east. And they worshipped the sun towards the east. But us, as for our eyes, we will worship the Lord. And when they said that, the priest would then turn facing the west, facing towards where the temple was at, where the altar was at, and just in this kind of semblance of remembering of like, listen, our fathers did this, but we, in this moment, we turn and we face God. They were watching the sun come up. Now, this is important 
Because this is a culture in which they're saying, listen, we're taking personal responsibility for, for, for those that have come before us. We know our culture. We know our tradition. We know we have this history of, like, turning to God and turning away. We have people in our family line that we literally, we worship the sun. There was all of these gods that we worship that we know now that were false gods. And, and there was this culture. There was this idea of this, like, listen, this is what you got to do to appease the gods and, and you bring the gods these offerings, and if you bring them a really good offering, then the gods will bless you. But if you don't bring them a good offering, then you are in trouble. But it was this never-ending loop, because this is what would happen, is, is people would bring their offering to sacrifice to all of these false gods. And here's the thing, they would bring this offering, and if they had a really good crop that year, then it was like, oh man, God was blessed with this offering that I gave, so I've got to give more. I've got to give more because he's blessed me with more. But then there, there was the opposite of like, if you had a really bad year, then, then the gods, they must have been angry. So I've got to give more, and I've got to give more, even to the point where they were sacrificing their own children. All for the things of just, when we got to appease the gods. And it, everything, no matter what happened, it always ended with, you got to give more. You've got to give more. And so they never knew where they stand. And so here you have the priests that are standing in the silence. They're watching the sunrise and they're saying, listen, we have a history in which people before us, our fathers, have worshipped the sun. But we know that it's not about the sun. We serve the God of heaven and earth. And so for, for us, we turn and we face the Lord. This is an an, an important moment. They're entering the silence. This is the morning where where they're coming like, God, we want to hear your voice. God, we are turning our eyes to you. I think sometimes, and let me give you a little tip here. When it comes to hearing the voice of God, it's a question that kind of goes about off all the time. Like, and how do I know if I'm I'm hearing the voice of God? How the, the best thing that you can do to really, well, uh, one of the best things, one of the best things that you could do to hear the voice of God is to enter the silence, is to get rid of all of the distractions and the noise. Like, that's why God says, I think, at each one of these festivals, there's all of these different festivals that he commands. It's like, and before we get into all this, like, Sabbath, rest, cease from your work, slow down, enter the silence so that I can speak. See, I think sometimes we're running a million different ways. We're going, God, I just want to hear your voice. And God's like, if you'll stop long enough, I'll talk to you. Because I don't want to compete with everything else that you've got going on. There's actually this real famous scripture in First uh, Kings 17, 18, 19-ish. <laughs> I don't know. Numbers. I don't know. It's in the Bible there somewhere. But, but the prophet... <laughs> Elijah goes out, and uh, he, he's running. He goes to this mountain, and it says this, like, there was an earthquake, and there was wind, and there was fire. And in each one of these things, he's just standing there, like, the amazement of, like, God. Oh, like, wow, earth is shaking beneath our feet. The hurricane is coming. But then it says this, but God wasn't in that. He wasn't in the hurricane. He wasn't in the wind. He wasn't in the fire. And then it says this, 
And in some of your translations, you might read it like this. And then, and then, and then God spoke with a still, small voice, right? Some of you maybe heard this before, and that's actually not a very good translation of the words that are used here in the Hebrew, because those words that's, that's literally translated, what, what the writer puts down is this, and then God spoke out of the sound of sheer silence. Out of the sound of sheer silence, God begins to speak to him. And I think sometimes, man, we're looking for God to speak, and we're looking to the whirlwinds, and we're looking to the hurricanes, and we're looking to all of this. And so God's like, when we get all of that to stop. And honestly, that's one of the things, I mean, hurricanes, like, we live here on the coast, it's horrible, right? But let's be honest, there's some of us that absolutely love it. And, and there's a part of you, too, because you don't want anything to get destroyed, you don't want anybody to get it hurt, that's not what I'm saying. But you love the fact that there's something special about everybody just kind of getting in their home, and things getting quiet, and neighbors taking care of neighbors, and you checking on family, and families checking on you, and you've got all kinds of goodies in the fridge, and you don't even care if the power goes out because we're sitting on the living room floor with a candle, and you don't want to admit it, but there's something special about this moment. There's something special because while everything else is going crazy around you, you have a very table in the presence of your enemies. You've calmed down long enough that you're experiencing God in this way that, God, man, help me to enter the silence. Uh, we moved into our home just a few weeks ago, and uh, uh, my brother Bob here, he was, he was moving out of his house, and he had this hammock. He was like, hey, we don't, we don't have a need for this hammock anymore. Lucas, would you like to have it? And I don't, I don't pass up free stuff. So, uh, yeah, I want to have this hammock, bro. Are you, this is the beach. I'll take a hammock. And so he gives me this hammock, and, and it's kind of just sitting in my garage while we're still constructing and everything's going on. And finally we get uh, to the house, and I put the hammock up on the back porch. And it had just been a, a, probably about a good three months of me waking up super early, uh, 5 o'clock in the morning, just kind of waking up morning after morning with different work and all this stuff. But I got into this pattern where I'd get up early and I'd go outside and I'd lay in this hammock. And, and on my back porch, I'd begin to watch the sunrise. And it was just this amazing moments that I've had this, this last little bit of watching the sunrise, laying in this hammock at peace. I mean, and, and for those of y'all that know me, this is the hardest thing for me to do. Like, I've got more energy than that Energizer bunny. I'm like, I'm just 5,000 miles an hour all the time. Hey, Keith, what you doing? Hey, Keith, what you doing? Hey, Keith, what you doing? Why ain't you calling? Text me, text me, text me. I mean, I'm just always going. But I find this moment where it's just entering this rest and the silence, and I'm just beginning to hear God speak. And it's in a way that, man, he, he doesn't do it when I'm just going 1,000 miles an hour. And so this is this God saying, listen, from the very beginning of this thing, like, Enter the rest, slow down, stop. The priests are there. They, they, they've said these things. They've made these, these acts of repentance and just say, listen, we're no longer just going to be serving God to try, to try to appease God. We know that like, you alone are worthy, and so we're turning our face to you. Then they would do this. They would go and they would get this golden pitcher. They loved gold back then. I don't know. Could, could have been the 70s. Oh, but they loved 
gold. And they had this golden pitcher. And they would go down to the pool of Shalom. And they would fill this pitcher full of water. And then they would walk back up to the temple. And when they walked back up to the temple, there was something very, very important about the temple. And that was there was an altar. All kinds of stuff happened at the altar. I mean, this was a bloody place. This is where, man, uh, if you were a bull or a goat or something, like you ain't want to hang around the altar because they're getting ready to barbecue you. And so this morning, I also brought in our modern-day altar because this is where this place where beef goes to die. But this is what would happen. The priests would have this pitcher of water. They would then walk in they would walk up to the altar, and remember, this is, this is the place where you offered all of these sacrifices to the Lord. This is the place where this sweet-smelling aroma would go up, and this is all of the things that God has commanded them to do. And then they would take the water, and they would begin to pour some of that water onto the altar. And the crowd would be around, and they would just watch as this would happen. And this was important because this symbolized a few different things. Uh, the main thing was this. Remember, this is at a time where they're celebrating what God has brought them out of. He's brought them out of Egypt. He's bringing them to the promised land. They're dwelling in these tents in the desert. And there's come to this point in the desert where they're out there living and they've run out of water. And they're complaining. And what are we going to do? How come you have brought us out here into this place in which there is no water? And then all of a sudden, what does God do? God brings water flowing from a rock. From a, walk, from a rock. Now this altar would be built of stone. This altar would be built of rock. And so when the priests began to pour that water out, it was the symbol in which it reminded all of the people that, listen, even God brought us this water flowing out of a rock. In our need, in our distress, in our time of need, when it looked like everything was helpless, God brought water from something that's not supposed to give water. Now, here's a few things. One, fire building 101. You don't pour water on your fire, right? Hey, we're going to go do a little barbecue in the backyard. Cool, give me a water pitcher. Let's soak up the wood. Let's just soak it down, drench the wood so we'll have a really nice fire. No, that doesn't happen, right? You want to make sure that you have the driest wood possible. You want to make sure the conditions are right. You want to make sure everything is good for this fire. Not so with Jesus. Have uh, you ever, ever found that Jesus actually likes to do the complete opposite of what we've been taught? Uh, there's actually another really cool story of the prophet, uh, again, in 1 Kings. I think this one is in, in 19, uh, where he is gone out and he has challenged the prophets of Baal to this contest. And the prophet says, like, this is what we're going to do. Listen, I worship the Lord of all. You guys are worshiping all these other gods, the gods of the sun and the moon and, the, and rain and all of these other gods. So what we're going to do, we're going to build these altars. We're going to build them out of stone, and we're going to put sticks on them, and we're going to dig trenches around them. And you're going to call on your God, and I'm going to call on my God, but the God who answers by fire, that God we know is real. And so this happens, and, and the prophet's like, okay, you guys go ahead and go first. And so they do this. They build this altar. They do everything right. 
they do it in such a way, they get the driest wood, and then the scriptures tell us they begin to sing and they begin to dance around this altar from morning till noon, doing everything they can to ask their God to come and consume, but nothing happens. And so because nothing happens, maybe we're not doing enough, and so they begin to cut themselves. They begin to cut themselves to just show we're serious about this. Come on, come on, the God of Baal, come on, you could do it, come on, and all of this. And the whole time, the prophet of God is just sitting over there to the side, and he's lounging, and he's mocking them. It's like, maybe y'all should yell a little bit louder, maybe he's taking a nap. It literally says that in the Bible, I'm not even being funny. Elijah's like, he's taking a nap, and then he even goes this far, maybe he's relieving himself, like he could be in the bathroom. I'm serious, the Bible says that. Now think about this scene for a minute. How many times, though, have we been on the opposite side of that equation? Where we feel like we're living this life, we're doing everything right, and yet we're still not getting ahead. God, I'm doing everything I'm supposed to do, and you're still not answering by fire. God, I've built the fire, I've got the dry wood, I'm doing everything I can in my marriage, I'm doing everything I can with my kids, I'm attending church regularly, I'm giving, I'm doing all these things, I'm helping my neighbor, I'm doing all these things. And still, these other people, they seem to do everything wrong, and yet you're blessing them. This dude, this neighbor over here that's getting on my nerves that I'm going to build a bigger fence, he keeps doing all kinds of dumb stuff, and he just won the lottery? Seriously, Lord? I'm doing everything right. How come I'm not getting ahead? See, sometimes I think when we read the scriptures, we instantly like to put ourselves in the place of the good guy, when the truth is sometimes we should just put our place in the, self, in the place of the bad guy. Because it's just like, God, what, what are you doing? Come on, something. And we feel this tension. I'm working hard, but this isn't working. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? I'm doing everything right, but things just still keep going wrong. Why is it that I'm still lacking? And if you look at the scriptures, you'll see this over and over again. If you look at the life of Moses, here's this Israelite that has said this. He grew up in the house of Pharaoh. He grew up in the house. Now, this is important because he goes on to be the leader (laughs) of this tribe, right? And to which if you were one of the people in that tribe, you would be like, hold on. Not this brother. He doesn't know what it's like to make bricks day after day. He doesn't know what it's like to get beat. He was hanging out in the castle while I was getting beat by the Pharaoh. And you're telling me that he's the leader? No, I'm the one doing everything right. He's done everything wrong. God, you're choosing him? Hold on a second. Wait, the prodigal? Wait a minute. This dude's take, he's taking his inheritance Man, he's had some parties. He's had some good times. Dad, haven't you seen I've been working here, working my fingers to the bone morning and night, day after day? I'm the one that wakes up early and mows the grass. I'm the one that gets up and milks this cow. I'm the one that's making sure all of this gets done, and you're going to kill the fattened calf for that kid? Hold on. I'm the one that's doing everything right. Why is he the one that's getting the blessing? It just doesn't seem to be working. What is going on? I'm working 80 hours a week, but this fire doesn't start. And so there's this moment in which the priests 
has brought this water that they've dipped from the pool of peace. And they come to an altar and they pour it out to remind themselves and remind the people that God doesn't work like other gods. God can take and make water come from a rock. God can take your worst situation where everything looks like it's not going to work out, where every, and God can make some water spring forward. Where everything looks like, oh, he doesn't work like that. God still invites you to the table even at your worst. Even when he's sitting at the table getting ready to face the cross, he still says, Judas, come close. Come close enough to kiss me. Judas, you don't have to live like this. Peter, I know you're getting ready to deny me three times, but still come sit at this table. Because even if you do everything wrong, you got to understand I'm not like these other guys. And it's not your justification doesn't depend on what you do. It depends on who I am. And who I am is the God who can make water come out of rocks. What other God can do that? But still, we shout and we scream and we cut ourselves and we do more and more because, man, if I do this, then God will think I'm worthy. And God's like, no, 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 no. It does not work like that. And so when Jesus stands up in front of this crowd this day at the end of this festival, as the priest has poured it out, Jesus is saying to the people, do you not see? I am the living water. I am the very answer to the prayer that you're praying right now. But there's a problem. They couldn't see him. The crowd's divided. Because when the priest turned, and I can only speculate, but my, my speculation is this. They've spent all their time looking at the temple that they've missed Jesus. They've seen the glory of the temple. They've smelt the aroma from the sacrifices but they can't see Jesus that was right in front of them. And so when the writer writes this, he's particularly uh, conscious of knowing when this moment in which Jesus is doing that, and he's crying out, don't you not see? I am living water. I'm living water. You don't have to live like this anymore. And i got to be honest with you, I have this fear that, that if the Lord tarries and if it's Human history goes on for another 2,000 years. That 2,000 years from now, there'll be a, 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 somebody preaching a sermon, and they'll say this. There was, a, there was a day when people would gather in these buildings, and there would be awesome worship, and there would be somebody speaking, and there would be things for the kids, and there would be men's ministry, and be women's ministry, and be youth ministry. There'd be all these great things, but they missed Jesus. They missed the one that was right in front of them, right there crying out, listen, if you're thirsty, if you need some water, I could bring it from these dry rocks. All who are thirsty, come to me. And he pours out his spirit on all of us. And what do we have to do? He says this, those just believe. Just believe. Just believe in me. Believe in what I've done. And I love this at the end of chapter 7. Chapter 7 closes with these words. And everyone went home. Everyone went home. The festival was over. The offerings were made. The songs were sung. The dances were danced. The crowd cheered. Everyone went home. 
Here's the thing. There will come a day for all of us when we all have to enter in that silence. When we go home and there's no blaming it on, oh, well, Lucas didn't preach a good enough sermon that week. Kyle didn't sing good enough songs that week. There comes a point where it's just you and Jesus. It's just you and Jesus. And you've got to find the worship in that moment. Where if Kyle doesn't lead me, God, I'm still going to worship you anyway. Where if the, if the pastor doesn't preach a good sermon, God, still, I'm going to worship you anyway. We all go home. We all find this where where everything stops, where everything goes silence. Because that's what Jesus says about this in Leviticus 23. Listen, start this thing with silence. End this thing with silence. I'm going to ask the, the worship team come back up. Everyone, please stand up. For maybe some of us, week after week, we go through these patterns of coming to the festival, coming to the celebration, and celebrating everything that God has done for us. But there comes this moment where now we have to actually live it out. We have to actually live set free by the one who's set us free. And it could be overwhelming because, God, well, now what? what? What do I do with that? And to which Jesus says, listen, just believe in me. Believe in my word. Out of the silence, I've spoken something into your life. You need to believe that. Because in just a few moments, conflict will arise. There will be a contrary word to what God has spoken over you. And so you've got to believe it. And, and you say, Lucas, man, that just that doesn't seem practical enough. That doesn't seem like that uh, powerful enough. Like, if you would say, let, let me just point you to a few people in the scriptures. You look at Joshua and Caleb. There's an entire nation that dies off in the wilderness. There's only two guys who enter into the promised land. Could you imagine being them, like watching all of your buddies pass away? What was different about them? What was different? What was, what was special about Joshua and Caleb? Simply this. They believed. They believed. Uh, we look at Abraham, right? Abraham, like, oh, man, this guy, Abraham, he, he's amazing. What's the scripture say? Abraham what? Believed. And God counted it to him as righteousness. I, oh, man, just to believe, just to believe that, God, I am what you say I am. Lord, I believe this word over every other. Lord, it doesn't matter what's going on in my life right now. It doesn't matter if it feels like water is being poured over, over my fire. God, you are the God who answers, and God, you'll show up. And so, God, I just believe. And I love this one portion of the scripture where someone comes up to Jesus and he prays this prayer that I have found myself praying over and over again. And it's my prayer for us this morning. It says this, these simple words, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. I love that prayer because I don't know about you, but it resonates with me. Lord, I believe in you. I believe in your word. I believe everything that you've spoken over me. But God, I got to be honest, sometimes there's some unbelief in there too. There's some times where I'm not sure if you're going to show up. 
I'm, I'm, not, I'm not sure if this situation's, I believe, it would help my unbelief. And then this is what God tells you to do. He says, I, I know you've made your fire all nice and ready, but I want you to dump some water on it. Whoa, whoa. That's not how you start fires. Because like, yeah, I understand that's not how you start fires, but it's how I start fires. Have you ever found that to be true in your life? Like there's things, that, and you're at this moment where God, if you don't come through, and then God tells you to do something that's just completely, like, God, I'm broke, and God's like, five, last five bucks, you give that away too. I'm like, I need that, that's my lunch money. And God's like, but that's how it works in the kingdom. We serve a God who makes water come from rocks. We hope you enjoyed today's podcast. If you would like to explore more resources just like this, take a moment and download the Coastal Church app. Also, if you would like to give financially to support the ministry here at Coastal, go to mycoastalchurch.com slash giving. God bless and have a wonderful week.